Wasn't that relaxing? <laughs> Hopefully it does not look like your life, but probably some of you it does in regard to your schedules. We're going to talk about, uh, we've been talking, started last week a series called Breathing Room, uh, and talking about this whole thing of, of how, uh, in a sense, it's all right to have, and we showed last week, I showed some pictures of uh, clutter and organization. I showed a garage that was cluttered and organized, a uh, living room that was cluttered and organized, a closet that was cluttered and organized, and things like that. And, I, you know, and, and I would talked about, you know, that's a choice that some of you, I mean, and, and, you know, I don't know if anybody went home because of that and you cleaned out your closet or your garage or anything. Uh, that wasn't the point of the message, by the way, uh, if you did that, uh, but somebody, maybe that would have been, you know, maybe a motivation thing or something. Anyway, we talked about that. That's, it's all right for your garages and your, and, your, and your closet and stuff to be cluttered. That's a choice we make. But the thing that's not all right is to, for our life to look like that, to be cluttered, to be filled up with so much stuff that we never have the time to do any of the things that we'd really like to do. And we talked about the reason is because God wants us to have what we call breathing room. And the definition of breathing room is this, the space between our current pace and our limits. Uh, that all of us have limits in life. And if you don't know you have limits, you think you're, you're like Superwoman, Superman, and you never have to worry about limits, then you're wrong. You will bump up to them if you haven't done so already. And, and in doing so, what will happen, uh, two things will happen if you do not have breathing room in your life, any space between your current pace and your limits. The first thing that will happen when breathing room decreases, your stress, stress level will increase because you'll have no time to really uh, to, to kind of recover from, uh, from the times uh, of all the stress that you're going through in your life. And some, uh, some of you live your life in such a pace that you really never have times to recover. Uh, and we talked about that last week. The, the Bible talks about that. That's why when God give us, gave us the Big Ten, you know what the Big Ten are? Ten Commandments? That one of them is about breathing room. It's called the Sabbath. He said, you know, on the seventh day, you shall do what? You shall cease work. You shall not do any work whatsoever because during that time you're to trust me for what you need. You're to recover. You're to focus your attention. God even placed that in, in the Big Ten. Another thing that happens when we don't have breathing room in our life and it d decreases is your relational intimacy decreases because relationships happen, uh, our rela relational intimacy happens in the breathing room. The time to get close to God is when we have times when we can be quiet before God. The times to have, get close to our spouse and to our kids is in the times when we, we have downtime. It's not just running them here and there and everywhere. That's not closeness, that's just simply activity. And so we began last week to look at what the Bible has to say about this, this relationship between our willingness to create uh, breathing room and our faith, and because the Bible has lots to say about this. This is not a, a, a subject. Now, if you go, I shared with you last week, and you look up in your concordance or your Google search or your Bible or whatever it is, you look for breathing room, you won't find the word, you won't find margin, you won't find any of those things, but you will find this whole thing throughout Scripture uh, about this whole thing of creating space in our life and create a, a sustainable pace to our life that God wants us to have. Now, today we're going to talk about one of the areas we began to just mention last week, and today we're going to talk about time. Time. How do we, how do we create margin? How do we create uh, a space uh, in our time? Now, before we go into that and look at that, what I want to do, and if you have your outlines, ask them, fill in the blanks. You'll fill those in in a few minutes. But the first thing, I want to give you three facts, uh, the three facts of life in regards to time. Okay, three facts of life in regard to time. And none of these are like 
well, like, duh, you know, I mean, like, they're, they are, they're all duh, you know, they're kind of like, you know, why do you even mention these? But the reality is, is sometimes the reason I'm giving these to you is because so often what happens in life is we act like these facts of life are not true. We just act like they're outside the realm of, of what we actually do. So the first fact of life is this, number one, your time is limited. Your time is limited. Now, we all know that's true, Right? But so often we don't act like that in regard to our scheduling. What we do is we just keep adding things and adding things and adding things, and we never ask a question, what do I need to subtract? I came face-to-face with this thing about our time is limited um, a couple of weeks ago. For those of you who were here last week, yeah, my voice is much better than last week. It's not 100%, but it's much better. Last week I sounded like Barry White. If you know who Barry White is, I was really down here. Anyway, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to be drinking a lot, not, this is tea, by the way. Uh, <laughs> even though I have heard that, you know, whiskey and honey is one of the best cough syrups in the history of the world. So, um, I don't know about that, we'll, we used to do that when I was a kid. But, um, yeah, I really did, my parents really gave it to us as a kid, I remember that. I thought, man, this stuff is wonderful, it feels so warm and fuzzy all over. <laughs> then I realized why NyQuil used to be so good, too, it used to have a lot of alcohol in it, you know, so... Uh, don't let, judge me because of that. You do worse things than that. Okay. Time is limited. Anyway, where was I at? I totally got lost. Um, the thing about time is limited. When we were home for the holidays um, a couple of, uh, back, back a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, man, it seems like it's longer, longer than that because this has been a long week. I don't know about you guys. This has been a long week. I mean, it was cold. It was brutally cold. Now, some of you are the kids that didn't have to go to school. You're going to like, oh, this is a great week. No, no, not for your parents. <laughs> and so, um, so some of you only went to school like a couple of days this week, so that was probably it. But anyway, the thing is, is, is when we were home with our family, um, I was sharing with you, it was kind of a stressful time uh, for those who were last week. Uh, we went home to visit my, my, my parents, and uh, we went first to my daughter and her husband and and grandkids in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then we traveled from there. The day after Christmas, we traveled to, to Roanoke, Virginia, or Salem, Virginia, actually, which is right next to Roanoke, uh, where my parents live and where I grew up, and the house I grew up in, my parents still live in it, and it's a 1,200-square-foot ranch. Not real huge, uh, but it's adequate. I mean, I ever thought, thought, thought it was fine when I grew up. Had no problem with living in a 1,200-square-foot ranch. It was great. Um, except now... When all of us visit, all of us were in, myself, my three sisters, all of us have two kids apiece, all, some of those have kids. So when we got there, we counted, and we were all there, uh, not all staying there, because two of my sisters live in town, and so some of the people stayed with them, but some of us, we all got together there, we found out there were 31 of us, yeah, 31 people in a 1,200-square-foot ranch, okay, and then we started sitting around, and we were talking, and some of the, I call them the cousins, the, my, my, my son and my daughter are two of the cousins, and then we have eight others, and, and, and they were all sitting around the kitchen table talking and sharing, and they realized how long it had been since we'd been together. And we realized that some of us, had not. this is the first time in seven years that all of us had been together at my mom and dad's house, because it's that stage of life when, you know, all of these cousins and stuff are between the ages of 20 and 32, or 33, and, and you know, they're going through marriages, and they're going through college, and they're going through jobs and stuff, and so not everybody had gotten together. And so we had this kind of, kind of conversation. It was nice. It was a good conversation. That part was really great. And then we got ready for, um, <clears throat> for, for a meal. And I don't know if it was at that meal or somewhere else along the way. My dad, who's now aging, he's 82, and, and he has had a lot of health problems, and he's going through a lot of stuff in life. He looked at, looked at us, and he said, I know why you're all here. 
I'm going, we're all here because it's Christmas, and that's why we're all here. He said, I know why you're all here. You know it's my last Christmas. Boy, what a bummer. You know, I don't know about you guys, but my, nobody has told Dad it was the last Christmas, but he just has in his mind that he's getting bad, he's getting old, and, and he's going to die. And what do you say to that? Well, what I said to that was this. You know, Dad, you're right. This could be your, your last Christmas. But none of us know, this is the reality, none of us know if any of us will be here next year because our time is limited, Right? Our time is limited. None of us know how long we have. And I don't mean to say, aren't you glad you came this morning? Isn't this encouraging? You know, no, this is a reality check, okay? Because it's so important. It's just, this, that thing about understanding how our time is limited is the main point this morning. We're going to talk about that more in Scripture in a moment. So that's the first fact of life in regard to time. Your time is limited. Number two, a second fact of life is this. All of your time will be spent doing something. All of your time will be spent doing something something. You know what I mean by that? At the end of the week, you can't go, well, you know, I got 45 extra minutes I didn't use this week. I'm going to use them now. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, you can't say, at the end of your life, you're going like, oh, you know, I've been saving up some extra time. I got six months. I'm not going to die now. I'm going to wait another six months because I've saved some time up. It, time doesn't work like that, right? All your time, every minute that you live, you got 24 hours in a day, and that's it. And it's all used, it's all spent doing something. And the third fact of life about time is this. Somebody will determine how your time is spent. Somebody will determine how your time is spent. Now, for most of us, most of our, us determine how our time is spent. You have a calendar. I mean, it used to be, you know, uh, I don't know what you use for calendars now. I mean, computerized. I use, you know, I have... I everything, iPhone, iPad, I this, I that. And so everything's coordinated on, you know, so one calendar, everything just synced and everything. So I kind of know what's going on. You know, you know so we kind of control our calendar. But let me tell you something. If you're married, do you totally control your calendar? No. Not if you're smart. Because, you know, you got to understand that there's more than one person in this relationship. And you got to, like, work together. And if you have kids, do the kids have any control over your calendar? You better believe it, even though they might be two or three years old. They have a control over your time, over your calendar, how your time will be spent. The reality is in life, we have ever somebody will control, will determine how your time is spent. The problem so often in life, though, is this, and this is what we're going to talk about today. The problem so often is when we control our calendar or someone else controls our calendar, we are wired in such a way, and because of our culture, when we are in control of our time, what we tend to do is we tend to allow the urgent things in life to push aside the important things in life. Now, don't raise your hand when I ask you this. This is just a rhetorical question, okay? But how many of you, you know, recently, because it's the first of the year, and you always do this dumb thing, you, you made resolutions about something like, I need to exercise more, I need to work, I need to, I need to uh, you know, eat better, or I need to spend more time with my kids, or I need to, you know, let me tell you the reason it's dumb, is because what you do is you do, you say those things, and then I will tell you, 95% of the things that people make resolutions about, they never do. You know Why? Because life comes along, and your great resolution to go and work out, you know, 
well, you know, the kids got to go here, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. The urgent becomes more in, uh, the thing that drives our schedule instead of important. Even though it's hugely important, folks, that we exercise, even though it's hugely important that we eat well, even though and then people say, I can't eat well because it takes too much time to fix real, fix real food. Choice we make. It's a choice we make. So we can let all, all, all kinds of things get in the way. I will never forget years ago. I'll never forget years ago. This is like 20 plus years ago. Uh, the church I was at before this in Virginia, and I will never, you know, 20 plus years from now, if I'm still alive, which who knows, um, you know, some of you may be a sermon illustration somewhere else in a far, far away land. But uh, this is something that happened, truthfully, uh, about 20 plus years ago. I was talking to this couple in my church then, and they'd been married at that time about 15 years. And you know, see, I'd have been married like the same time, and uh, and and going along in life, and and I had this conversation. There was this couple that seemed like everything was together. They were friends of ours, and um, and they came to me, and the husband was complaining, complaining, complaining about their relationship. And I'm going like, okay, what's the deal? And so he said, he looked at me, and he goes like, and this guy was a hard charging, hard driving salesman, and his wife was a high capacity person who who served in like tons of different ways and so off and things in, this, in the life. And so they were like really active, involved people, very energetic people, very fit people. I'm saying all these things about what I'm going to tell you. And the thing was, he came to me and the husband's complaining, he says, we're so busy, we never have time for intimacy anymore. And I'm thinking, you don't have time for intimacy anymore. Some of you are looking like, oh, what's the big deal? No, no, it's, that's not the way it's supposed to be in a relationship when you have time in a relationship. And what happened was, is see, and so they began to talk in front of me there. And they was coming in to talk. And I was just sitting there. You know, I'm just sitting here. I wasn't doing anything other than just listening. And they said, you know, you know, we, we, and he was complaining and she was complaining and, blah, blah, blah. and both had busy schedules. And she was this hyper-organized person that had a calendar. And she had like probably the calendar to look like on the screen with the 5,000 post-it notes on it. She had that kind of deal going. And she goes, and we tell you what, we can resolve this. What we'll do, and she's beginning to look at her calendar, is every Tuesday, <laughs> it'll be intimacy night. You're laughing. I was, I, was not try, I was trying not to laugh. But, you know, the thing was, that was their solution. And I'm going like, these are two Christian people committed to one another, and they couldn't find the time to be intimate. Intimacy happens, by the way, in the margins when there's breathing room in life. It doesn't happen because you schedule it. And so what happened was is that I, I left there, and I was just like stunned. So I went to a couple of pastor friends of mine, and I'm going, and they were about my age. And that time, this was 20 years ago, this was when I was like 40, might have been even longer ago than that. <laughs> and I said, hey, have you ever dealt with this before? I've never dealt with this before. Can you tell me, you know, what, how would you respond to that? I mean, that's what we do as pastors. We don't know how to answer anything. You know, we pray about it. We, we look in the scripture about it. There was no nothing in scripture about that. I couldn't find anything about, you know, how to schedule intimacy or whatever. You know, is it all right or whatever. And then, and then the thing was is that I went to these two pastor friends, and they would sit down. And these are guys who were pastors of growing churches, and, and they were doing well and, and everything. And they were, you know, fairly young, energetic, you know, guys. And going like, going like, Man, I've never heard of that before. 
but I have the same problem in my relationship with my wife. And that sounds like a great idea. And I'm going like, you got to be kidding. You were so busy doing the urgent stuff, all the stuff on your calendar that you can't do the important, and that is having an intimate relationship with your spouse. Something's wrong there. But so often that's what happens when we allow ourselves to program everything in our life. Because we think and we allow, we talked about this last week, we allow the fear of people, of them thinking that we're not succeeding or doing stuff, to drive us to overschedule, to overcompensate, to do all these things that cram our schedule full. And God never intended us to be that way. The most logical thing that we could do from a logical standpoint, would be to surrender our time to our Heavenly Father. You know, you know, when you become a Christian, you surrender your life to Him? You know what that means? You think, well, it just means like I come to church on Sundays. Or I surrender this little bit. Of, but you know, your, your calendar is part of you. Your schedule is part of you. And being a follower of Christ means you surrender your calendar to, to God as well. Because God, let me, let me tell you, the reason we should do that logically is this, because he is the one who gave you the time to begin with. And secondly, he's the only one who knows how much time you have left. So doesn't it make sense that if he's the one that created time, and he's the one that knows how much time we have left, that if we go to him and say, God, how do you want me to use my time, that it would be logical that he would allow you and he would show you how to do that? I love what it says in Job 14.5. Job 14.5 says this, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set the limits. He cannot exceed. I believe that everybody in this room believes that God, in a sense, uh, controls our days. And here's why I know that. In my experience with people over the years, when people come and they tell me, Pastor, I've just learned, I just learned that I have this terminal illness. And I have six months to live, or I have eight months to live, or whatever it is. And I ask them, okay, and, and, and you know the first thing they'll ask me to do with them? Pray. Pray. And you know what the prayers are usually a lie about? Dear God, you who control all time, you know what's going on in life. Will you, will you, and then they'll begin to kind of bargain and deal with God. See, your days have been given to you and granted to you by God, and he has the power to extend our life if he wants to, and he has the power to, he did it throughout Scripture. And other times, he knows their life is, is short. So why not let God control our schedule? See, if you do, if you let God control your schedule, you will have breathing room in your schedule because your Heavenly Father will lead you to a schedule that allows you for the, to do the things that are most important and leave space for breathing room because that's the way he created you. That's why he said in the Big Ten, hey, take one day off a week and, and just do nothing. Worship me and do nothing else. So how do you do this? How do we create breathing room in our schedule in our life? How do we create this breathing room that we need in our life? Well, three things. And these are three simple things, but they're, they're straightforward. Number one, recognize that your days are numbered by God. Recognize that your days are numbered by God. In Psalm 90, uh, Moses, after he had lived this, this life and he was toward the end of his life, and he, he says this, and I love what he says. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 years if our strength endures, yet the best of them are in trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass 
and we fly away. You ever sung that song, We Fly Away? Moses was the one that came up with it. Well, he didn't really write the song, but, you know, he, that's where the idea comes from, this passage of Scripture. You know, it's kind of like, it sounds like a bummer, but, you know, Moses was, real, was talking about reality. He says, you know, life is limited, and sometimes life is tough. For Moses, remember, he had like, he lived 120 years. And he had these 40-year segments of his life. One 40-year segment was out going around, uh, you know, go around following sheep. Can you imagine what that's like all day? Every day you go out and you sit on a hill, you watch the sheep. And then you go back. He had a lot of time, a lot of downtime, a lot of time to kind of like reflect and stuff. And it was like probably a tremendous time of growth in his life, believe it or not, because he wasn't so busy. And then he had another time right after that when God led him to, to, to go and to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And, and he said, go and let my people go. And you know, all the stuff that happens, you know, because of the movie. And, no, really, scripture, really, it's about that. Uh, and, then, and then what happens is, it happens is, he's, you know, they let the people go. And then what do they do? You know, they said they were going to the promised land. But they weren't ready to go to the promised land. So for another 40 years, the, he leads people all over the desert. Wandering around here, there, and everywhere. And all I did was complain, complain, complain. He learned some issues about leadership during that time. And he finally gets to the promised land. He's done all these years thinking about, I'm going to get there. And then when he gets to the promised land, what does God do? <laughs> he says, you can't go in. You can't go in. You can go sit up on, you can stand up on this hill. You can look out over the hill. You can see the promised land, but you can't go into the promised land. And so he writes this. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 years of our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. He's saying life is short. I mean, I love the conversation I had out uh, at the uh, Welcome Center or at the kids' desk before the first service, and I was talking to the workers out there, and she was telling me about at school. Uh, she was leading a, a girls' group there at school, and, and, and she was trying to teach them about and showing them the brevity, brevity of life and how often we think that life, that if we live a long life, 80, 90 years, that's a long time. She said, what I did is I took a ball of yarn, this giant ball of yarn, and I went to school and I took it and I clipped off a little tiny piece, just a piece about this long. And I said, girls, she said, girls, this is, this is your life. And then she began to pull out all the yarn and just pull it out and pulling it out and pulling it out and pulling it out. And it just kept coming. And it, kept, it was just a huge ball of yarn. Kept coming and kept coming. She'd go like, that's just a little bit of what eternity's like. And I realized that's all we have. And we need to use it well, that little piece. But for some reason, we think our life, our time, is unlimited. We live like that. And then in verse 11, Moses says this. He says, if only we knew the power of your anger. You're going like, really? Where would this come from? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, this is a confusing verse uh, in the Hebrew. And sometimes when translating to the English, it kind of misses some things. And this is probably one of the best translations of that. But let me just, instead of going through, spend a whole lot of time going through what it means, let me just tell you what it means in one sentence. What this, what this verse means here is this. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. And within the context of this discussion that Moses is having about time, he would be saying this. If we could see God as he is, we would be more intentional with the time we have been allotted. But then he says, in the very next verse, he says, that'd be great if we could. But we can't, so we have to be, do something. So he says in verse 12, this is the focal verse, verse 12, teach us then to do what? To number our days. Teach us to number our days. He says teach because it doesn't come naturally. 
We tend to live, live of this as if we had these endless days. And what do you do when you have an endless supply of something? I mean, you have lots of stuff. You tend to waste it. You just waste it because, oh, it's not a big deal, you know. I got more of it over here. I can waste it. And when we live like we have endless days, what happens is, is we waste our time. We waste our days doing just ridiculous stuff that really has no meaning in the bigger picture. He says, teach us to number our days. Number. Teach us to remember our days are numbered. Now, we do this all the time, short term anyway. Okay, ladies, all of you, all ladies who are married, raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. Okay. You've done this. Remember the big day? Do I have to tell ladies what the big day was? (laughs) Your wedding day, you know? What did you do months and months and months before that day? Everything in your life. And the reason I don't tell the guys this is because guys are kind of like clueless. I mean, we just kind of go like, yeah, that's, that's on the calendar. We're getting married that day. Yeah, honey, whatever you want to do. I mean, I've done this tons of times. Any, anyway, and so, but ladies, man, I mean, this is a big day. And so everything in your life is numbered by that date. You are numbering your days. Right? Yeah. Unless you're a very unusual lady, I'd like to meet you. I don't know what I'd do with you, but I'd like to meet you. I would just kind of like hug you or something. Go, like, yes, there is hope. No, but anyway... But the reality is, is that's what we do. For for instance, I mean, any of you ever had major surgery and you had it scheduled? What do you do before the major surgery? Do you just kind of forget about it and go like, no. Every day of your life before major surgery is numbered until that happens. How about those of you who are in college and you know exams? Well, I don't know. You're right at the beginning of the semester right now or whatever. But, you know, you know at the end of the semester you're going to have exams. And you know how important. I mean, when I was in college and I was in grad school, I mean, basically I had three grades in all my classes in grad school. A, 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 a midterm, a final, and a paper, a humongous paper in every class. So that midterm and that final were huge dates because how I did on those. So what did I do? I numbered my days leading up to that. Because I knew that that was an important day. We do that in our life naturally when it's short term. But what, what, what Moses is saying, he says, hey, we have limited time. So teach us to number our days. And then he says, this is the result of doing this. He says in the last part of the verse, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. He said, if we will understand, if we will number our days, understand it's something important, that we have limited, at, limited days in our life. He says, what it'll do, it'll help us to gain a heart of wisdom. He's kind of saying it this way. Remembering our time is limited provides us with wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remembering our time is limited provides us with wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. But if we live life like, I got all the time in the world. No, you don't. All of you know that, right? Unless you're totally self-deceived. The reality is all of us know that, but we live our lives so often like we don't even think about that. And that's what, that's what Moses is saying here to us. That's what the scripture is saying. He's saying, remember how limited our time is. And because of that, if we remember that and live every day as if we have limited time, it'll refocus 
in a sense, how we spend our time. I mean, kind of like this, and I don't mean all these sermon illustrations to be morbid today, but it's just part of the, part of the plan. Um, what if you found out you, tomorrow that you only had one week to live? Would you reprioritize your schedule? Would you have the same schedule you already had planned? Probably not. What if you found out you had one month to live? Do you think this next month would look different? You know what God says? He says, you only have one life to live. It's a little bit longer than a week. It's a little bit longer than a month. But it's only one life. He says, live understanding that. I mean, you only get to be 20 once. You only get to be 30 once. You get to be 40 a couple times. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> 50, I don't know. You know, I vaguely remember that. You know, it was a few years ago. 60. You only get to be that one time. Understand it. So do what you do in your 20s and your 20s. But don't act like you have forever. Live every day with priorities. You know, we think it's easy if we've only been given a week or a month to live, but God says you've only been given one life to live. Then how shall you live that one life? That's what the psalmist is saying. When you lock in on that one thought, our days are numbered. From that one thought will come wisdom you need to invest your time wisely. Point number two. The last two points are much shorter than the first point. Okay. You're going like, oh, Pastor Bill, it's almost lunchtime. The game's coming on. I don't know what time the game comes on. I don't care. I don't like any of the teams. Anyway, so uh, point two. Based on the fact that we know our time is limited, number two, prioritize accordingly. Prioritize accordingly. You know, if you know, if you know that you have limited time, doesn't it make sense to use your to make sure the priorities are done first? I love this verse in, in Ephesians. And we actually did a whole series on this back a couple of years, two or three years ago, called The Best Question Ever. Uh, and it's about this, this, this thing, but this, is, this verse was there. It says, be, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So often in life, what it is, our capacity is determined about how much we can cram into our schedule. Right? That's how we determine our capacity. Uh, my schedule is filled up. I can't fill anything more. So that's the way I determine how my capacity is. But that's not the way God designed us. Because instead of saying, should I do, you know, sometimes we'll ask like, well, you know, what are we doing? We got, I got Friday night free. You know, you know let, let's, somebody calls us and asks us to do something. Or, or you say, you know, we need, need to do something. Because we got a Friday night free. And then what we do, we cram something into the schedule. Without asking the question that we need to ask, and now the question is this. Here's the question we need to ask based on this verse. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Based upon, this is what the series we did before, and this is from an Andy Stanley book called The Best Question Ever, if you want to know more about this. It's a little booklet that's really a great, great little booklet. Um, based upon your past experiences, your current situation, and your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? 
in everything we do. Instead of haphazardly letting everybody else cram your schedule full of stuff, letting culture cram your schedule full of stuff, asking yourself, based upon my limited time and my limited resource of time, what's the wise thing to do? See, when you ask this question, priorities will determine capacity. It's kind of like this. You know, how many of you went somewhere for Christmas, you were gone several days, and you had to pack a car? Anybody do that? You could raise your hand. This is a question you can answer. Okay. Okay. I did that. Now, some of you guys are maybe like me. I, nobody else can pack the car except me. Why? Because I am the world's greatest car packer. But, I, you know, really, really, you know, I remember, I remember when, I remember when, uh, remember when uh, my kids were still around and we were going on trips and stuff, and if what I simply told them was this, everybody bring everything out, sit it behind the car, and then I will pack it. Now, sometimes it took two or three times, but it got done. And how I packed stuff was this, priorities, priorities, not only size, but Priorities. And sometimes some things, because my, my deal was this, even when I remember we had a minivan, you know, and the minivans, you could pack it all the way to the ceiling if you want to, but I, I was a safety guy, you know, and I wanted to make sure it never, nothing was above the back seat so you could actually see out the back seat because I was going on this long journey and I didn't want to be, number one, pulled over by the police and number two, have a wreck because I couldn't see anything. And so sometimes we would simply, I would simply say, honey, you can't take your Barbie dollhouse or something like that, I don't know. Because it's not a priority. You need your clothes. You need this other stuff that we're taking. No, you can't take that. You know, that's how we pack cars, right? At least that's how I pack cars. See, that's in a sense how we should live life. Schedule our time. Like we're packing a car well. The priority's going first. And everything else comes later. And if we don't have the space for the other things, too bad. It's fine. Life will go on. Let me kind of fast forward to the end of our lives and give you a picture of how priorities are. And people who have lived a long time and come to the place where they realize that there's not much time left. There, there was a story, and I read about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, there was an Australian nurse. Uh, her name was Bronnie Ware. And she wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, and it was, it was about this whole thing of her experiences working with people. She was a, 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 a healthcare nurse who worked in homes of people who were, going, who were in the last 12 weeks of their life, basically, or less. And over the years as she worked as a healthcare nurse doing this, she would ask people questions about their life, and then she would write them down. And later on, I don't think she started off to write a book, but she realized this would be helpful to people. And so she began the process of asking questions. And, and one of the questions that she asked was, what regrets do you have about how you spent your time? And she had a whole list of, question, of, of, of responses in the book, kind of categorized, prioritized. And I just want to give you the two top responses from the people that she spent years ministering to. And I want to give them in reverse order. These are insights from those who had their day, knew their days were limited and how they and how, uh, now have wisdom from living life in which they'd done some things differently. Number, the number two uh, most common answer was this, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> she said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. 
They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but most, as most of the people she was working with were, were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. I wish they hadn't worked so hard. The, the number one answer, though, is not really surp- surprising, but for those of you who are younger, you need to listen to this. This is huge. Because the earlier you learn this, the better you are. I mean, we can all learn it, but the number one regret from these folks who lived a long life but now were dying and only knew they had a short period of time left is this. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she said this, Bronnie said, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had the dying knowing, and this is important, that it was due to choices they made or had not made. And then she makes a statement, which I think is a great statement. She says, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. You know, we can live life and allow everybody else to make the decisions about how to fill up our schedule, or you can make the decisions and pack your car and pack your life the way it should be packed, with the priorities first. I, I, I know there's some obje- objections to some of this stuff. I mean, people do this. I hear these all the time. Some of the objections is, well, you know, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I will never make it. Let me ask you, what is it? What is it? I, I, I wonder if so many times going through life, people wonder, you know, have never asked, asked the question, what it is that they will never make if they get, get so busy, and if it is even important. Another objection I've heard, if I don't do as much as I possibly can to stay busy, 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 I will fall behind. Fall behind whom? Fall behind what? Who are you living your life for? I mean, hopefully we're adults and we're still not trying to impress our third grade buddy. If, and, and this is this one that, you know, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be accepted. Accepted by whom? Accepted by whom? Let, let me, those of you who are in school, some of kids, there's kids here. And if you're in high school or even in college, you know the people that you're trying to impress right now, you're trying to be accepted by right now? Say if you're in high school, in five or ten years, they won't know who you are. And you won't know who they are. They won't matter anymore. And if you spend all your try- time trying to be accepted by those folks, you're trying to be accepted by folks that really, in the long run, don't. You need to learn to live for an audience of one. That audience is God. Because he'll be around when everybody else is gone. So. The last thing I want to say to us is about this. Is how do we do this? If we realize time is limited. If we need to realize we need to reprioritize accordingly. Then what's the third thing we need to do? We need to make time alone with God a priority. If we want to know what God has to say, we have to listen to God. Make time alone with God a priority. All the other things are some things we need to take out of our life, but this is the thing we need to add into our life if we don't have it already. 
And I don't really understand how, to, how this works exactly other than to t- just to tell you this. There's something powerful about starting our day with God. Because what it'll do, it'll make you sensitive to what God wants you to do and what he wants you to be. Not just when you're with him in that time, but when you start your day with God and you listen to God and you say, God, hey, this day I want to follow you and I want to obey you and I want to listen to you and I'm going to be aware of you. And you do that every day. That process of doing that makes us aware as we go through our day. And we have to make decisions about time and about a lot of other things. It makes us aware of God's presence in our life. It's kind of like saying to God, God, I'm going to give you the first minutes and then be aware of you the rest of the day. It says this in a sense. It's kind of a promise from Scripture in Matthew 6, It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And what's all these things they're talking about? Well, if you read the rest of Matthew chapter 6, you understand all the things that, that he talks about is stuff that we're all striving for. Shelter, clothing, food, all the things that we, we spend so much time pursuing he said, first seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, his way for your life, and he'll give you direction. So, how do we wrap this up? Well, when we begin to number our days, when we begin to embrace the wisdom that comes with that, we will begin to declutter our schedules. And we will have breathing room. Because our Father loves us too much to clutter our schedule. He made you with gifts and abilities and passions. And he wants your primary things you do in life to be built around those things. And you don't have to do everything. You know better than that. You know you can't do everything, but we still try. Because culture says that's what you're supposed to do. So, here's a practical thing. If you have your outline, flip over on the back. On the back of the outline is, a, is, is four little, uh, little lines. It has some pluses, some minuses, some arrows going this way, some arrows going that way. Uh, means increase, decrease. I want you this week to think about this. If you're really serious about this, to, folks, I didn't teach you this lesson today, this, this thing just to so you how to be more knowledgeable I really believe that God wants us to apply this in our lives. So this is a way to begin to apply this. First of all, ask yourself the question, what should I add? What should I add to my schedule? What are, what, you know what it needs to be? It needs to be priorities. What do I need to add? And if you're not spending a regular time with God, a few minutes each day, 5, 10, 15 minutes each day, starting your day there, I would say that would be number one. Because you cannot know what God wants you to do if you don't spend any time with him. What should I subtract? What should I subtract? I hate to say this, but some of us that might need to be a person's name. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. No, no. That needs to be something you increase time with your spouse. I'm talking about people that are pulling you down in a direction you shouldn't go. Who do you, what should I subtract? What should I increase? What am I already doing a little bit of, but I need to do more of in my life? What have I, you know, I said this is important, but it's, I'm not doing it. And, and along with that, what should I decrease then to spend time doing those things? What should I decrease? 
If you're serious about doing what the Scripture tells us to do, about understanding that our time is limited, that we need to uh, prioritize accordingly, that we need to spend time with God, God will direct us in how to fill this thing out and then use it as a guide. My prayer for each one of us is this, is this year will not be a year where we're so busy that we can't say, God, you know, we can't listen to God. We can't spend time with our kids. We can't spend time with... We'll begin the process of decluttering our life so that our life will have margin. Because in the margin, in the breathing room of a life, is where relationships with God and with people happen the best. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. I pray that you would allow us this morning, as uh, we go from this place, after we sing a song this morning, after we uh, uh, do a couple other, uh, after we uh, go from here, that with this week, that we wouldn't just stay so busy, that we don't have time to think about some of the things that you uh, are sharing in your word. This scripture, God, is not meant just as information. It's meant for something that helps transform us into being who you want us to be, which means a person who is productive, but also a person who is focused. So often we live life, God, in this helter-skelter, crazy way where our life is so cluttered with activity that we really don't do anything well. And especially, God, the relationships that are most important in life, we don't really develop them as well as we should our relationship with you, our relationship with our spouse, with our kids, with people that are closest to us. Because we just run from thing to thing to thing. And that's not the way we're supposed to live life. God, you said from the very beginning when you designed us and designed us as people that we're to have breathing room, space in our life. And in doing so, God, you do that so that we can constantly evaluate and know what it is you want, me, want us to continue to do and to be. Guide us this morning, God, as we um, go from here that will not only be informed but transformed by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.